You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. Morning, everyone. Okay. Right, my name is Susanna. I am on the preaching team here, and I'm also the uh, Kingdom Kids Director at this church. And so my role and that of my team here is to facilitate the spiritual formation of the children in this family and also in the wider community in Cohoes. So we are in the middle, well, actually we're at the end of a summer series where we are looking at the culture we want to create here at Spindle City. And by culture, we mean the shared sort of behaviors and views and paradigms and principles that we have here. And so Brittany asked me to speak on children. Um, So that will be our focus today. How do we, you know, see children, treat children? What role do they play here at Spindle City? And what we want to do is really define that role based on how God defined it, how, how Jesus defines it as well. So we want to have the same values that Jesus does for children, put simply. So I thought it might be fun to start off with some quotes about kids, quotes from adults um, and then quotes from kids themselves. So if we could go to that first quote, um, I'll have you read along with me and then we'll dive into the message. So here's something about kids. You can learn many things, many things from children. How much patience you have, for instance. Okay, next one. This one I can really relate to. The quickest way for a parent to get a child's attention is to sit down and look comfortable. Okay, next one. There are only two things a child will share willingly. Communicable diseases and its mother's age. Okay, and then I have three slides, uh, three quotations from children, and these were actually real things overheard by New York City teachers during break time at school. So an eight-year-old said, I am thankful for words like awesome, because without them, I would not have many words to describe myself. I love that one. Okay, next one. A seven-year-old was overheard saying, so the more you sneeze, the more blessed you are? And this last one is really good for... Um, a Feast and Friends Sunday, I really like this one. A six-year-old said, uh, anyone could be a family. You just have to love each other and feed each other. So I guess that makes us a family here. So there are some quotes from adults and kids, and we really want to just look at what did Jesus say about children. And so you should have a piece of paper in front of you as you came in. Did everyone grab this little half sheet? Can you see it? All right, if you don't have one, I think Joe's coming in with some extras. And if you don't have a pen, you can ask Joe for a pen as well. Pen or pencil's okay, or even a colored pencil. So this is our text for this morning. I really felt drawn to this incident and specifically to this one thing Jesus said and did when it came to children. And I'm going to have you work in pairs or in little groups, if that's okay, as I uh, guide you through some context to this passage, and then we're going to actually analyze key words and phrases in that passage as well. So you should have something to write on, something to write with in that little piece of paper. And if you're not next to someone, you can kind of scooch now if you want, if you're okay with that. Or you can plan to lean forward and talk to someone. Okay, so before we start, I'm going to pray quickly. Dan, I know you prayed, but I'll just start again. Um, So... Holy Spirit, 
we invite you into this time. And Jesus, we love you. Um, you never get old. And there's always, always something you want to show us. And I ask that you would do that this morning in a way that would change us and glorify yourself and make us feel more loved and loving. We give this time to you. Amen. Okay, so here's the passage. We could have it up on the screen, and you have it in front of you, but here's the sort of longer passage, and it actually occurs in two different Gospels. Matthew wrote about it, and so did Mark. So they were obviously heard about it or were there at the time. And I'm going to read the one from Mark because there's a little bit more detail on that one before and after the statement we're focusing on. And it actually gives us um, some information about Jesus's emotional reaction, his physical reaction, and his uh, verbal reaction to what went on. So Mark 10.3 says, uh, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. So we're going to focus on that one underlined portion, which is word for word in both the passages. But the first step before we do that is to gather some background information. Because really to understand what Jesus is saying, we need to understand what life was like for children back then. So when he's talking about children and interacting with them, we need to know what a child was. Um, because he's making some big value judgments here. So if we don't understand who children were to him in their world, then we won't really understand what he's saying. Now, we can go to the next slide. What's really important for us to get our heads around is children were not the main characters in any of the gospel narratives. Um, when they do come on the scene, their function is usually to reveal something about Jesus or his kingdom or what discipleship looks like. And to be honest, this kind of absence from the narrative is not unusual for that time. In the ancient world, uh, there's actually very little historical record or interest in the lives of children. We don't really have a lot to go on. We don't know a lot about them back in the first century. And this in itself tells us something about the role that they played. Um, as one research article I read put it, in a culture dominated by powerful adult men, children were not powerful, they were not adult, and they were not men. More than half of children never reached puberty and they died of malnutrition or disease or neglect. Children born into poverty were expected to work from a young age or were trained to beg on the streets. And children who were disabled in some way or illegitimate or female, infanticide was a reality. So killing, killing the child. So also was child exposure. I don't know if you're familiar with this practice. But this is when, uh, once a baby was born, it would be taken to a secluded spot and left to the mercy of the elements to die. Or in some cases, someone would come along and rescue that child. But there was a, it was very common practice to dispose of children in this way back in the day. So this, do, this doesn't mean that children weren't loved or cared for. 
but they categorically lacked social standing and they were extremely, extremely vulnerable to their environments. So we have to keep this in mind. Also, families had a very pyramid shape um, with dad at the top, the patriarch, and he had all the power, he had all the wealth, he made all the decisions, and any extra sort of trickled down through the other members. And who would be at the bottom with no say? Children. Children. And that's not the case here today, I don't think, in our world. There, there's actually an anthropologist named David Lancey who introduced the idea of a neontocracy. Neontocracy. And that's a type of society unique to weird countries. Weird stands for Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. Sound familiar? We're in a weird country, aren't we? in more ways than one, in which children are the most valued members. So neontocracy is, I would suggest, what we sort of live in to some extent today. We have a very uh, kid-focused culture. There are institutions, there are places, there are events that exist solely for the education and the stimulation of children. And there's no limit to the amount of time and energy and money a parent or carer is expected to invest in them. Right? I think, I think that sounds familiar. And actually, I was thinking as I was writing this, there's definitely been times in my life, I don't know if you've had this experience too, where I, I thought to myself, man, I really want Killian's life. <laughs> this is our three-year-old son, and I've said, gosh, he's got it good, man. I wish I was Killian sometimes. Um, but the reality is, if Killian lived 2,000 years ago, I would not want Killian's life. Um, and so... We, we must keep that in mind when children, or when Jesus refers to children, or he interacts with children, that he's dealing with a marginalized subgroup. He's dealing with a marginalized sub, subgroup. So let, let's turn to the passage, okay? Get your little piece of paper and your pen. Um, and what's happening here is Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's making his journey down to Jerusalem, where he's going to be eventually arrested and tried and killed, and large crowds are always coming to him for healing, and he's also recently been debating with some Pharisees, uh, they've been testing him, and in my mind, it's sort of at the end of the day, and he's pulled away to get some time to himself, and now kids are being brought to him for some sort of ministry. Now, it's pretty easy to understand why an adult figure or a parent or guardian would bring a child to Jesus to be blessed, right? Even if they didn't believe who Jesus was, there's a chance that something good might happen and they would bring their kids along. It's not so clear from the text, though, why the disciples decided at that point to interfere and stop that from happening. Um, so that's why we're going to just explore a little bit with this verse. I'm going to almost invite you into my English class. This is what happens in English class. You often analyze a little piece or a passage book or a poem or something, and with the whole story in mind, with the context in mind, and with the characters in mind, you're going to try to pull out some meaning from some words and phrases and try to put together something significant and meaningful from what's being said. So I'm going to have you do that. Um, some words to keep in mind as you do that, good words for language analysis are, you know, this word suggests. What is it suggesting? What is uh, implied here? What is being evoked emotionally or visually for you? Uh, what's being illustrated or proven? Uh, what's being represented? Or how does this word connect to something else that character said? Or another theme we hear in the book. 
So just keep those verbs in mind. Suggest, imply, evoke, prove, connect. Those nice uh, analysis words. All right, so let's move to the page of questions. So the first thing I want you to do is just really quickly with your partner, can you put that statement into your own words? So this is really good for just breaking it down. Sometimes we freeze when we read a Bible passage and we think, ah, don't know what it means. It's really old-fashioned. I can't ac access it. And you have permission right now to try to read through it, face value, what is this person saying? So I'm going to give you one minute, and I will time you. Chat really quickly in your pairs, and then try to rewrite what Jesus said as simply and straightforwardly as you can in your own words. Time starts now. Okay. No, put the statement into your own words. Don't overthink it. Like it could be, kids are free to come to me, don't get in their way. Right? Okay. Did we get that statement down in our own words? Okay, awesome. Um, does anybody have one they really, really want to share? Like, can I, can you, can I tell you mine? Does anybody out, out there want to say what theirs is? Satya, go ahead. Okay, wow. That's deep. All right, Satya says, uh, in her own words, Jesus is saying, there is no way to prevent my love for the children. Thank you, Satya. All right, so let's move to the, uh, for the first question, and that's this phrase I have in bold. So we're looking at, let the little children come to me. I want you to look at that verb, let, and that phrase, come to me. And I'm going to give you two minutes again to answer those questions. So what is this language telling us about how Jesus relates to children with this manner of invitation and his wording here? And how, does it, how is it implied that children might approach him? Okay, so let's take another couple minutes, talk to each other again. How would you answer those two questions? What's the relationship between Jesus and children based on that phrase, let the little children come to me? Go ahead. We'll feed back after, let's say, a minute and a half. And write it down, write it down. Okay, so the question, it's on their sheet. Okay, a little bit more time. Okay, I'm going to give you five seconds, and then we got to move on. Okay, and music fading. Thank you. Okay. Um, I think what I'll do is I'll share just a few things I got, and then we can always circle back and get some feedback from you guys if we have time. But I just want to honor the time that we have this morning. And so I think the bottom line for me on this first set of questions, this first 
sort of phrase, I feel like that um, Jesus wants to be together with children. Um, much like you said, Satya, I, uh, the language was suggesting that he's giving them full permission and full access to himself, and there are zero requirements for their meeting. You know, when someone says, come on over, you know, you're, you're, you're allowed, and, and there's no mention of any criteria needing to be met. And they don't need to bring anything, and they don't need to be anything. He doesn't say, let the little children come to me after you've sanitized their hands, or, you know, and make sure they bring a snack, because I don't want them to get cranky. Let the little children come to me. It's, it's pretty simple. And I think from, really, from that word come to me, it's not, or, or the word let, actually, it's not bring the children to me. It's let them come. So what is that suggesting? Yeah, let them do it themselves. Right. Yeah, so it's almost like they want to come, and all you have to do is just let them come. It's not bring them to me. Of their own volition, let them come. And so that tells me that they want to be in his presence, and they feel free to accept the invitation, right? They don't find him hard to reach. They don't find him hard to reach. Okay, let's move on to the second and the middle word here. So that second question is about the word hinder. Okay? Again, let's do the same exercise. What is that word bringing up for you, and what does it tell you that, you know, who or what might be getting in the way of this process, this encounter, and why? Okay? So just think through on the disciples' end what they might have been thinking, which is really what we're thinking. Because we're very much like the disciples. They were adults, and we are adults too in this world. So again, cue the music in the background, please. You have one or two minutes. Try to answer that question in the top right. What is hinder telling you, and why might there be hindrances? Go ahead. It could be a who or a what. Getting some water. Be right back. Okay, a little bit more time. Okay, five seconds. And could we fade the music? Perfect. Okay, raise your hand if you could think of a bunch of things. Man, you probably weren't done listing all the things that could be hindrances. Um, so uh, I came down, I, I was, as I was thinking it through, I'll just share. I, I thought one possibility would be that actually um, in that culture, it was so unusual for uh, adults to advocate for children at all. 
that it maybe looked kind of suspicious or unsettled the disciples. Maybe these are spies or something. So maybe, just in that context, this was not a normal activity for children to bring their parents along to an event to be blessed or educated or edified in some way. I'm sure most of you thought that maybe the disciples just felt this wasn't a priority. You know, this is not urgent compared to healing uh, adults or compared to getting ready for the next intellectual battle with the Pharisees. You know, this is not top on the list um, on Jesus' time and attention. And it may be that they were just trying to protect Jesus' energy and privacy. Actually, I, um, in doing some research for this, I learned that families live in compounds. Back then, they all lived together in a big shared space, and often the men were at the front of the house to sort of guard the space, and the women were at the back. And guess who was going in between the rooms? Children, carrying stories, picking up information. And so if you wanted to keep something secret or to yourself, it was you know, paramount that you isolate yourself from children. So we could have a situation where they're thinking, oh, it's kids. They're going to come in here, have some sort of interaction with Jesus, and they're going to leave with some gossip, or they're not going to accurately you know, report back on their experience with Jesus. So children can't be trusted. Um, The bottom line for me, though, is that the hindrance was essentially we don't think Jesus is for everyone. We think his love is conditional, whether it's time, you know, or Jesus' energy, and that his kingdom has a ranking system. What they were doing in that moment was putting some conditions out and putting some sort of ranking system out and then making a judgment based on those two things. So the the problem, the hindrance was essentially we don't think Jesus is for everyone at any time. Okay, last one is that phrase that the kingdom belongs to such as these. And so we're going to explore that language and really can you pull out of that what characteristics, knowing about the context, knowing what we've looked at so far, what characteristics or circumstances set someone up for, you know, access to the kingdom or ownership of the kingdom? Can you pull some ideas out of that language? Belongs to such as these. So the kingdom belongs to children or such as these. He's talking about this particular people group. All right, another minute or so. Okay, let's say five seconds at the back, fade away. Okay. Pardon? Right, to answer that question, what characteristics? have special access or, you know, full ownership. Um, Joe was saying the answer to that would be the reverse of what you might think. Um, And I think, um, I know there's a lot of things you could pull out about what children are like that Jesus is saying we should be like. Um, But for me, I think the bottom line I really was feeling was that... um, The kingdom of God belongs to people that come to him with no recommendation except the need to be loved and blessed. 
So the kingdom of God belongs to people who come to him with no recommendation or nothing going for them other than they need and they want to be loved and blessed. And we're actually going to land there. We're going to keep it really simple and leave some time for Jesus um, to move individually here. And, and this is the encouragement as we move into that time is that I've, I've read this passage before. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you've heard it. It was probably up on the wall at Sunday school <laughs> at some point. Um, and you learn that Jesus loves children. And, and we want children here to know and experience that love. And we want to embody it for them consistently and accurately. We want to reinforce that reality. Jesus does love children. And I actually, as I was preparing, I had this picture of like what happened that day. And I just felt to share it with you. I was, you know, it's good to use your imagination when you're reading the Bible and really try to picture what's happening. And I just saw Jesus in this room by himself. And I saw him overhearing what was happening outside. And let's say it was James and John who often sort of rush to his rescue or do some, like, bouncer work. And I felt, I felt him, I, I sort of heard him overhear what they were saying, and I could feel, like, the shock in the anger rising up. Like, no, 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 no. And, and him opening the door, ah, 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 James, John, you know, what are you doing? I never said that you needed to do that. And, and saying to them, like, there, was, there was no one, no one, boys, that you must bar from my presence. You are not to judge, and you are never to keep anyone from seeing me, if they want to see me. And I could just feel this little exchange between them. No, 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 what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Did I tell you to do that? No. And so it's not, sometimes I think sermons on kids can be about how Jesus finds kids so special and he has a little junior relationship with them and it makes us feel all warm and cozy um, and cute. And that's not bad, but I think we just need to remember the context of him saying this as well in that culture. That what Jesus is really showing them is that he is just himself with everybody. And everybody can be themselves with him. And that's what you need to understand. You need, we need to strip away our view of children in our culture and understand that they were very, very vulnerable and they were very much a marginalized subgroup. And what he's doing here, their function is to show us that Jesus is just himself. He doesn't change for anyone. He is authentic and trustworthy. His life is open and it welcomes everyone in and he dignifies everyone with his love. And he makes everyone significant with his love. And he is for everyone. And that's really where I landed with this message about children, was the reason that we want to love children well and serve them well at CV is because Jesus is for everyone. So we are not to modify him for them or modify or protect him from anyone else. And yes, there are ways to teach children, teach children about Jesus that are age-appropriate, and there are methods and strategies you can use. But really, Jesus is Jesus. And that's why we love children here. Because Jesus is who he is for children. He's himself. And so, um, Dan, I could invite you up 
now and the prayer team to be ready. Um, as we were praying in the prayer room this morning, I uh, was feeling this too, that this would be a good time to sit. Um, you can stand if you feel like you want to, or you can sit. That's absolutely fine. And to put your hands out. And I want to give the Holy Spirit some time to reveal to us what the hindrances are between us and his love. It could be that you yourself are the hindrance, or it could be that you're placing a hindrance between him and some other group or some other person. And I really felt kindly and gently he wanted to show, show us that this morning, what the hindrances were or who the hindrances are. And again, it can be yourself. And it probably is yourself at, at some level. And that Jesus wants to remove hindrances this morning that keep us from him and that make us keep others from him. So we're going to be still for a couple of minutes for him uh, to do that work of showing you gently what might be in the way or who might be in the way. And then we're going to ask him to come and meet you there where that hindrance is. And I'm going to lead you through kind of picturing and connecting with him. So I would close your eyes if I were you, or you could keep them open if you're not as distracted that way, but just Holy Spirit, would you come right now? And we are willing to let you show us if there is anyone or anything in the way of your love for us. We're going to wait on you now and we're going to rest in your love and your knowledge of everything about us and your heart to make us more like you. Come Holy Spirit. There were two things in particular that we that came to mind as we were praying this morning as well and as I was praying in preparation. And if this isn't the thing that came to mind for you, that's okay. Jesus still wants to meet you and remove that barrier. But the first one was the messiness of others getting in the way. And that could mean that you're not able to experience God's love through others or extend that love to others because you could get hurt or disappointed or it's just messy and complicated. And so I don't know how he's going to do it or would do it, but Jesus wants to just remove some of that pressure to control and maintain the messiness of living with others in community and living in relationship with others and even with yourself. So to remove the need to be guarded against messiness, to be guarded against hurt. And then I really felt like there was something about your own mind getting in the way. Whether you're highly intellectual and it needs to 
make sense for you in every way or your own um, maybe mental health struggles if your own if you feel like your own mind is sabotaging that need or that, that ability to encounter Jesus's love that he wants to meet you there and that your own mind is not stronger than Jesus <laughs> is not a barrier to the love of God um, and I have experienced Jesus working in my own mind to heal me and to restore me and to love me even though I was in the way. Okay. So now we're going to invite Jesus to come to us. And he's going to come to you as himself. So just close your eyes and Jesus, would you come to where this barrier is? And you can use your imagination, that's okay. And Jesus, would you just give people a sense or a picture of who you are and where you are in that space? Let them see you, Jesus. What's on your face? How are you moving and connecting with them? What does Jesus look like as he comes? Leave some space for you, Jesus. Remove these barriers this morning. Remind us how you love us. That is just who you are. Gosh, I want to just tell you this one, one story. Part of my testimony is that in college I went on this retreat and the speaker, I don't even remember his name, he asked us a question. He said, what do you, you know, close your eyes, what do you picture on God's face as he looks at you? <laughs> For some reason I just got, had got it in my head that God was looking at me with like a, I literally wrote down, with a chagrined smile. Like, hmm, need some work. And I remember writing it down in a note. And then, you, you know, the speaker told us, you know, he, he's looking at you with a smile. And that was huge for me. And, um, yeah, I just felt like to tell you that story, that in Jesus, God is smiling at you. And, yeah, I, I just wanted to tell you that, that even I, up until college, hadn't really fully understood that. And that was so freeing for me. And so... Yeah, I just release that over you. God, smile and the love of Christ and the freedom to be living in that. Um, and Jesus, we just thank you for what you did this morning and for the incident with the children and the disciples and what you wanted to show us, that you are just yourself and you are for everyone and your love is available to all. And it's okay because we all need it and we all really want it deep down and so i release this family into receiving more of your love and to extending it to others so that there are no barriers 
between us and you and the world and you. And we just thank you for this time and what you had to say. And we pray we'd go into our week carrying your love for ourselves and for others and for the children here as well. Jesus, we love you. Amen.